7th, which means it is time for 10 things I like about UFC 291, which takes place on Saturday at Delta Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. We're going to jump right into it. Item number one, it's Poirier Gaethje 2, baby. This fight doesn't need any real buildup. This fight doesn't need any additional pageantry. It doesn't need any additional hype. If you are a UFC fan and someone tells you that Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje are going to fight for five rounds in Saturday's pay-per-view main event, you're tuning in. You're watching this fight. And if you're not, I would then like to have a conversation with you about your fandom and your describing yourself as a UFC fan. These are two of the most consistently entertaining action fighters on the UFC roster. Their first fight five years ago was a fight of the night contender, was a fight of the night winner and fight of the year contender. And I don't see any reason why Saturday is going to be any different. I, like most of you, have thoroughly enjoyed watching each of them compete through the eight fights since their last meeting, both of them six and two, both lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov and Charles Oliveira in bouts for the undisputed lightweight title. They finally cross paths again. They run it back. The BMF title is on the line. I don't care about it, so I'm not going to address it like it's a real thing. I just want to see these two get in there. Because in addition to being a guaranteed exciting fight, a guaranteed entertaining fight of the night, fight of the year candidate, this is a fascinating fight to tell us where each of these guys are at as well. Dustin Poirier, as I said, won the first meeting five years ago in Glendale, Arizona, earning a fourth round stoppage win. It was the second loss for Justin Gaethje in his career, second consecutive loss as well after losing to Eddie Alvarez before that. And it was a fight where Gaethje's style really turned. After that fight is where a bunch of things really started to change and he started to drill down a little bit more on some of the teachings of Trevor Whitman, on some of the take 10% off, on being less hittable, on making sure that he takes less punishment and less damage. And so I want to see how that factors into a second meeting with Dustin Poirier, who has always been somebody that's ready and willing and able to step into the pocket and trade with you, trusting in his chin, trusting in his power, trusting in his ability to roll with punches and deal defensively with whatever's coming his way. I want to see which one of these two not only has leveled up more since their last meeting, but if either of these guys have slid back a little bit since that meeting and since their most recent appearances as well. It's an interesting point that Elliot Marshall brought up to me when we talked for the Coach Conversation series, which is up now on UFC.com, mentioning prior to the Michael Chandler fight, Dustin Poirier fought Conor McGregor twice and fought Charles Oliveira in there after the, the Conor McGregor fights, of course, losing that fight rather handily and rather quickly. And the point Elliot made is that Poirier has really sort of just been in there with these similar guys, these like-minded guys. Conor McGregor is a massive name, but not an elite contender. Michael Chandler is a very big name. In Elliot's opinion and mine as well, not an elite contender. And Justin Gaethje has certainly been in there with, with Michael Chandler as well, two fights back or three fights back now. But last time out, he was in there with, with Rafael Fazeev. And it's a thing that I can't shake a little bit. It's a thing that's been sticking in my mind this whole week and, and really for the last 10 days since I talked to Elliot and he brought it up. 
that fight against Rafael Fazeev, to me, showed a great deal about where Justin Gaethje is in his career, in his understanding of how to deploy his skills, how to deploy what he's good at, and how to deal with fighting a younger, faster, dangerous man that is very much live in this division. And I'm really curious to see, I'm really interested in seeing if Dustin Poirier is able to do that himself on Saturday against Justin Gaethje. Not that I don't think he is, and not that I necessarily think he has taken a step back. But I just want to see it, because I think Gaethje is a step beyond Michael Chandler and several steps beyond Conor McGregor. And I want to see if Poirier can rise to that level and get himself back to that level and bring himself up to where that is. This is a absolutely captivating fight to me. I cannot wait for it. I hope you feel the same. Like this is just, I'm out of words. I just want, I just want Saturday to get here. I want the main card to get here. I want this fight card to get here. I like this card. There's intriguing things to me on this card. We're going to go through all of them, obviously. But this main event is, is captivating to me. Can't wait. Item number two, Alex Pahea's light heavyweight debut. This is a fight against Jan Bohovic that, again, just fascinating to me. I honestly wish it was a five-round main event somewhere, or even just a five-round fight here, because I think that is a piece to the puzzle that really has to be, for me, is a thing I want to see factored in with some of these athletes when they get to the point of being in title contention. And make no mistake about it. This fight is a, if not title eliminator, it is a title contender fight. I think the winner very well could face Yuri Prohashka for the vacant title later this year. That is what each man hopes, having spoke to each of them for stories that are, again, up on UFC.com as we speak. But I just want to see, we haven't seen Pahea go five rounds. We've seen him get into the fifth round, but we haven't seen him go five rounds. We've seen Bojovic do it in the past. I'd love to see it again. I think it is a fascinating wrinkle that I would like to see in these big, meaningful fights. I understand why it's not. That's fine. I'm still thrilled that this is the pairing. Because Alex Pahea is a guy that always felt a little bit oversized for middleweight, if that makes sense. The cut was drastic. It was difficult. It was something where he was working several weeks out to get that weight down and get that weight off. He walks around even much higher than 205 pounds. And while the cut is is less here, it's still a cut to get to 205. This isn't just, you know, roll out of bed, stop stop eating a little bit of a few calories and cut the carbs out and we're good. This is a gigantic man coming to a weight class where I think he fits better. And I want to see how the power translates I want to see how the physicality translates, how the pressure translates. And Jan Bohovic is the perfect matchup. Because Jan Bohovic is that guy that I think a lot of people not necessarily underestimate, but undervalue. He's a fighter that at the start of his UFC career didn't necessarily go that well. He had a stretch where it seemed like maybe he was going to wash out. And then he goes on a very good run where there are some close competitive fights in there but he gets to the title and wins the title and successfully defends the title against Israel Adesanya, then loses it to Glover Teixeira, and uh, eventually we are here, right? Alexander Rakic fight, Michael Benagalayev fight, and, and here we are. He is well-rounded, he's smart, he's technical, 
He's a better striker than he ever gets credit for. He is a better grappler than he ever gets credit for. I think overall, he's just a better fighter than he ever gets credit for. And he makes the perfect dance partner for Alex Pahea here because he will go out there, as he told me. He will go out there and test himself on the feet against this guy. He will go out there and see how his striking and his power matches up against Poetan. But then he's also sharp enough and smart enough to know that if it's not going well, or it's even even and it's close, I can take this guy down and dominate him on the ground. And that's what we saw when Israel Adesanya came up to middleweight. I think it's probably what we end up seeing in this fight on Saturday, but I can't wait to see it. I think Pahea is an instant threat in the division. And if Jan Bojevic goes out and defeats him on Saturday, he very much should be facing Yuri Prohashka, as he said, somewhere in Europe for the title, either later this year or early next year. Item three, big test for Michelle Pahea. Demolador faces off with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in the feature bout on the five fight main card. It is a step up for Pahea, who is coming off victories over guys like Nico Price and Chaos Williams and Santiago Ponzinibbio that are good wins, that are quality wins in that second 15, but he hasn't yet faced that ranked opponent and that guy that presents and looks on paper like a guy that should beat him. Like somebody that, that should A, give him trouble, B, beat him inside the octagon. And Stephen Thompson is that guy. You look at the odds, Wonderboy is the favorite. He profiles throughout his career. You give him a grappler, it's it's dangerous. That guy can beat him, right? We saw it with Bilal Muhammad. We saw it with Gilbert Burns. Those guys went out, just out-grappled him, took a lot to, to keep him down and, and out-wrestle him for the full duration of those fights, but they were successful. But then we saw the Vicente Luques. We saw even back in the day, Jorge Masvidal and most recently, Kevin Holland. Guys that want to go out and strike with Wonderboy don't usually have a good night. It doesn't usually go well for them. And so fascinated to see how Pahea does in this matchup because so far since he has toned down the lunacy he's unbeaten and I know that it takes away some of the appeal of him that he's now out here doing wild shit in the octagon all the time cartwheels jumping off the fence all of this stuff but I'm actually quite impressed by his ability to look at those losses to Tristan Connolly and Diego Sanchez two guys that I, and I say this with all the respect in the world, he had no business losing to. To look at those fights and go, you know what? I need to rein it in. I'm big, strong, technical. The ability to be just a better striker. I don't need to have all the craziness. I can add, as Sean Madden talked about on a, on a conversation with this week, 85% fundamentals, 15% flash. That's where Pahea is right now. And it has been perfect thus far. Not perfect fights, but perfect results. And if he goes out on Saturday and beats Stephen Thompson, despite Thompson being 40 years old, and I say that as a 44-year-old, not knocking Stephen Thompson as being old, but older as a fighter, tenured in this division, we know what a victory over Stephen Thompson means. If Pahea goes out and does it, we have to start talking about him as a genuine threat in this division, somebody to keep really close tabs on that should be getting a matchup with a Gilbert Burns, or with a Shavkat Rachmanov, or a Hamzat Chemayev if he's sticking around at welterweight. Someone in that mix 
Maybe it's the Jeff Neal, Ian Machado, Gary winner once they get together next month. It's very interesting. He's a guy, it's it's so funny to me that he came in with as much hype and attention and buzz. And now that he's won five straight and he's going into a massive fight that can propel him into the top 10, people don't seem to be talking about him as much. It seems to be that people are leaning, from my experience, from what I see online, people are leaning towards Thompson winning this fight. Historically, as I said, that's what has happened. But we shall see on Saturday. I can't wait to see this one. Item four, one more shot for Kevin Holland. If you have followed my career, if you have followed my work on any iteration of Keyboard Kimura over the last few years, you know that I'm not the biggest Kevin Holland fan. He is a conundrum to me. He is a guy that seems to want it less than we want it for him. He makes odd choices in terms of application of skills in terms of how he goes out and fights in these matchups. We saw it last time or two fights back for him against Steven Thompson, just decided we're not wrestling. Had Steven Thompson on the ground, probably could have dominated him on the ground. That's how his last two opponents had beaten him. And he was just like, no, let's get up and, and fight. And that's fine. I appreciate it from a entertainment standpoint and a consumer standpoint, but that's not how you move up the rankings. That's not how you move forward. And he can be at Media Day this week talking about fans know I'm the BMF. And I appreciate all of that stuff that people give me. And Masvidal didn't want to fight me for that belt. So I went out and made a BMF ring myself. Just go out and win fights, man. We will give you all the love in the world. Look at Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. We will give you all the love in the world if you go out there and put it on the line every single time. And for me, watching him compete over the last several years as he's risen first through the welter middleweight ranks, excuse me, and then the welterweight ranks. When it's come down to nut cutting time, when it's come down to brass tacks, this is a guy that is wilted and folded and found ways out as opposed to rising to the occasion. And that to me, if we're going to talk about BMF and we're going to talk about that belt that's on the line in the main event, that to me is the piece that means the most. I don't care that these guys have lost championship fights. They've lost to elite, world-class, pantheon-level talents in Khabib and Charles Oliveira as of late. But every time out, they stand in there and give you everything and will do whatever it takes and leave every ounce of themselves and pieces of their souls in that cage. And Kevin Holland thus far for me isn't a guy that wants to do that. He wants to talk about doing it, but we haven't seen it. Derek Brunson dominated him. Marvin Vittori dominated him. Lost to Kyle Dawkins in a fight that got overturned into a no contest. He, he's just not that guy yet to me. And Michael Chiesa, I can assure you, is going to come out on Saturday and press this dude. And be like, let's just see how you react when I start wrestling. When I start grappling. Because Michael Chiesa is an excellent grappler. He's got good size for the division. He matches up physically quite well with Kevin Holland. He can take a shot. He can get inside. And then it starts to come down to, does Kevin Holland really want this? Has he done the work to get better at the things that he hasn't been good at? Namely, take down defense and getting back up off of his back. Michael Kies is going to test that. And this, to me, feels like Kevin Holland's last chance to show that he's corrected some of those things and can actually move forward in this division. If not, it's fine. He can have a lengthy career as an all-action guy outside of the top 15, occasionally face a ranked opponent, 
have some good fights, some entertaining fights. Love it. Love those guys. Talk about it all the time. We need those athletes. Love those ecosystem fighters. But this is where we see if you want to be a contender or not. Item number five, sophomore showing for Gabriel Bonfim. So far, I don't know what to think about Gabriel Bonfim. He's made one appearance in the octagon. Good win over Munir Lezez at UFC 283 in January in Rio de Janeiro. Where he just capitalized on Lezez shooting a, a double leg and leaving his neck exposed. And it's a great finish. I don't, I don't question. I don't call luck or anything like that. It's a great finish, right? Opportunity and capitalizing on those moments is an important thing in this sport for these athletes. And he did it. He did what he's supposed to do. Locked up that neck, took it home, got himself a victory. On his contender series fight, in his contender series fight, I should say, he locked up a Von Flew choke over Trey Waters. When guys get Von Flued, I never know how to feel about it. Like, is it that the opponent reacted really quickly and got you in a choke that is more painful than we think and, and is more debilitating than we think? It's not necessarily painful, but is more impactful than we think. Or did you just make a rookie mistake and hang on to a guillotine that if you just let go, that choke doesn't have as much impact or, or pressure? And so for me, this is a... Let's just take another look. He's had less than a minute of time inside the octagon thus far. And we saw with his brother, Ismail, who also earned a victory at UFC 283, knocking out Terrence McKinney in the second round. We saw a couple of weeks ago against Benoit Saint-Denis that the upside maybe isn't as high as it was projected to be as he lost that fight, was, was defeated in the first round. I don't necessarily think that's the case with the younger of the Bonfin brothers competing this weekend. But Trevin Giles is a good test and another good measuring stick of this for me. Won his last two fights, has competed at light heavyweight and middleweight prior to this move to welterweight, where he's now two and one. As I said, won his last two fights. He's got a little bit of power. He's got a little bit of pop. He can wrestle a little bit. Good athlete. Was a really good prospect on the way up. He's honestly one of these guys that I'm surprised he's never taken the next step or, or frustrated, truthfully that he's never taken the next step, but he should be a good test for Gabriel Bonfim on Saturday. The last time Giles lost was to Michael Morales, 23-year-old unbeaten Ecuadorian fighter who trains at Entrum Gym in Tijuana. That sort of is the, is the benchmark, is the standard I'm looking at here for Gabriel Bonfim. If you go out and beat this guy and do so impressively, and it looks similar to that Michael Morales fight, that tells me one thing. That tells me, okay, Let's really get in on this kid. Let's really study this kid and pay attention to where he goes next, who he fights next, what the training situation is, the little bits that we see each time out. If it's a struggle, that tells me something else. And if it's a loss, that tells me a third thing. I'm all about, as I talk about all the time on this program and on this platform, I am all about data. Give me as much information as I can. Let me glean as much data and insights and information as possible to make better assessments of these athletes, give you better content, give you better information as I talk about these fights, these fighters, and these events. Item six, heavyweight crossroads fight between Derek Lewis and Marcos Rogerio de Lima. This is a really fascinating fight to me because Derek Lewis is someone, one, that I have gotten a chance to get to know and work with multiple times throughout the course of his career. Two, because I just don't know whether, as I asked yesterday, has Derek Lewis just, is he just done? 
comes into this fight on a three-fight slide. He has lost four of his last five. The only win in there is a knockout over Chris Dawkins, who is set to debut at light heavyweight next month in Boston and is a guy that had a really quick rise over okay, but not great opposition. And then as soon as he got in there with legitimate hitters in the heavyweight ranks, fell off and has now changed weight classes. And that's not a knock on Dawkins. Look, not everybody, as we talk about all the time, not everybody can be a top 10 fighter. But Derek Lewis is somebody that has been and was for a great deal of time. And I'm really, really interested to see if that is done, if that is over, or was it just a little bit of a hiccup? Because the power is still there. And Derek Lewis has come out at his media day and talked about the weight cut for his last fight. He's talked the same, a lot of the same stuff that Derek has said many times over about, no, I'm focused, I've committed, I'm training, I'm doing these things. Who knows? I set all of that stuff aside because it doesn't really truly matter because at the end of the day, Derek Lewis is a guy that's going out there looking to land one big shot on you. And I'm not sure if he can, I'm not sure if he's got it in the tank anymore. I, he has the power. It's there. It's whether he can get it out. It's whether he can pull that trigger quick enough and find that shot quick enough that the bad stuff doesn't happen first. And Marcos Rogerio de Lima comes in on the other side of things. Two fight winning streak, looking good lately, been largely successful over his last several fights. But this is the next step for him. This is the next tier for him. And it's a space that he hasn't been in before. And you don't usually see competitors this late in their career, this far down the road, start making these runs, start making these gains. And so it feels to me like they're passing each other. It's not even a crossroads. It's really that they're passing each other going up and down the divisional ladder. And I want to see whether it just continues as it has been or whether we get a little, okay, this is where it stops and we just hold here kind of moment in this heavyweight matchup. Item seven, another look at Roman Kopilov. Very similar to the Gabriel Bonfim situation where Kopilov comes in and takes on Claudio Hibero in a middleweight contest. He is two and two in the UFC, lost his first two fights, won his last two fights, stoppages in both of those, looked very good in both of those. And I have no real sense of what the real version of Roman Kopilov is. That was my question yesterday on one question. It is the thing that I am looking forward to about this fight. And one of the things I'm looking forward to about Saturday at UFC 291, I want info. I want fights. I want opportunities to watch these men and women and develop my thoughts even further. I have questions about this dude. He looked so damn good against Punahele Soriano that it's hard for me to sit here and not believe that that's the guy that he truly is. But then I go back and watch the submission loss to Carl Roberson and the unanimous decision loss to Albert Duryev. And I go, okay. That's the other side of this. I've seen the other side of this. It hasn't just been all rise and all great and all dominant. But if he's figured it out, I want to know. And I think this is going to be a fight, not necessarily where we know for sure, because I think Claudio Hibero is a little bit below, isn't somebody that I necessarily see as a top 15, threatening the top 15 kind of presence. And I do think, if Kopilov is the real deal, if he is what we've seen 
these last couple fights, he certainly can be, but we're going to find out because if he's not, if the last couple fights end up being a bit of a mirage and the real version is somewhere in between these four fights, this gets real competitive real quick because Claudio Hibero, while I don't think he's somebody that's going to be threatening for a place in the rankings, can crack and he can grapple a little bit and he's got a good gas tank and he'll come out and he'll get after you as he did against Joseph Holmes last time out. And so, as always, always comes up on this show. Just let me see it. Just let me watch fights. Let me see these dudes that I am interested in, that I want to know more about. I'm always here for it. I understand as I qualify all the time, I understand that not everybody feels this way and more power to you. But give me a chance to see these guys. Give me a chance to watch these men and women compete and grow and learn and develop. It, everything doesn't have to be instant. I'm not an instant gratification dude. I'm not a immediate returns guy. Let me take two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve fights. Let me take, I mean, Joshua Van, you're on a five-year plan, remember? Beat Jalgajumagulov, five-year plan. I'm not making any real assessment of you until you're like 26, 27. That's a long way down the road. Same with Raul Rosas Jr., right? Yep, lost last time out. Great, he's 18. Just let me see these people compete. Item number eight, make a break for Jake Matthews. As always, I do not advocate and I do not say this as a, if he loses, he is off the roster because I do not think that is the case. But what I do think this is, is kind of similar. The This feels like the direct-to-DVD version, the Kirkland brand version, if you will, of Kevin Holland, where we've seen some very good performances out of Jake Matthews. The win over Li Jingliang several years ago when Li Jingliang was on a nice run and eventually worked his way into the top 15. Jake Matthews dominated the leech. We saw the great win last summer against Andre Fialyu where he stops him in the second round and looks like he's just figured it all out, like he's put it all together. All the athleticism that we saw when he started in the UFC at 19, combined with the work on the striking, combined with some of the grappling, here we go. This kid is ready to go. He was 27 last summer and felt like, oh my God, He's got all this experience and now he's hitting his athletic prime and away we go. And then he looked not great against Matthew Semmelsberger. Couldn't, couldn't get out of the way of the power shots. Defensively just didn't know what to do and got beat and lost the decision. And so I come into this fight on Saturday, just kind of throwing my hands up. Unsure. It's, it's literally a sit down and let me see. Takes on Darius Flowers, who is a contender series alum who got a knockout win in the first round of his contender series fight, has been a finisher on the regional circuit, but certainly never faced anyone at this level. It is a short notice opportunity for Darius Flowers. And so I think there is the possibility that this fight doesn't tell us as much as I would hope, but it's still just a chance, right? Like this is another one similar to the Kapalov fight, similar to the Bonfim fight. Every iteration of result, every iteration of performance here tells me something different. If Jake Matthews goes out and blows through Darius Flowers, that's one thing. If he goes out and it's a tough fight, but he gets a win, that's something else. If he goes out and it's a tough fight and he gets a loss, that's one thing. If he goes out and gets knocked out, that's a whole nother story as well. And I just want to see how it plays out so I can make those assessments. Because at 28 years old, 
and nearly a decade into his UFC career, it feels like on paper, in theory, there should still be room for Jake Matthews to grow and develop and get better. Now, if I were in his corner and I were the people around him, I would be sending that man to the freestyle fighting gym to train with Alex Volkanovsky and Joe Perez and that crew all the time. I would be hustling him over to Bangtao to work with the Hickman brothers and the crew in Thailand. I would be seeing if he could connect with the city kickboxing crew and get a part of that rotation. Because all of those athletes, for the most part, are having a great deal of success and are competing. The one thing I will say, win or lose, they are competing at the best of their abilities every time out. Everybody's level is certainly different, right? Dan Hooker is one thing. Brad Riddell's another. Shane Young's another. Blood Diamond's another. Fine. Jamie Malarkey, right? Different. Just go out and find a way to get the most out of yourself, to maximize your potential. Because I think, and I have thought from the time Jake Matthews debuted in the UFC after being on Tough Nations, that this is a kid that has it athletically, physically. He's got it. Let's see if he's got it up here and he can put it in application on Saturday. Item number nine, the return of Uros Medic. So when Medic won on the Contender Series, I instantly fell in love with him. I have no problem admitting that. He got a first round stoppage win and then yelled out in the octagon, that's why they call me the doctor. I make them bring in the nurses. And I was, that was it. I was in. You got me for life, dude. I'm with you. Big, fancy, flashy kicker, knockout power, and you're dropping bars like that. Let's go. I'm in. So far in the UFC, it's been mixed results. Couple of wins. Lost to Jalen Turner. Looked very good last time out. Well over a year ago now against Omar Morales. And he steps up here on short notice against Matthew Semmelsberger at welterweight. And I just want to see it. He is one of the fighters in my Fighters to Watch series this week on UFC.com. And the final paragraph for it, and, and it's the final paragraph of the piece, kind of just says this feels like a high upside, going to get a win no matter what kind of thing for Uros Medic. Because if this is a full-fledged move to welterweight and you go out and beat Matt Semmelsberger, it puts you in that second 15 right away and establishes you as, all right, let's 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 see what this dude's got now that he's here, now that he's going to settle in here. And if this is just taking advantage of an opportunity and going up, a win certainly does great things for you if and when you decide to drop back down. But even going out and acquitting yourself well and handling yourself well in a short notice fight against a proven, established, tenured welterweight in Matt Semmelsberger, who isn't great, who isn't going to be a top 15 fighter, but is tough, has power, is starting to figure it out, is starting to put some stuff together and lives in that second 15 is a benefit, is a positive. Go out and hang with that dude and then go back down to 55. You look a little different. And I've always thought that Medic has some upside, has some forward movement. So let's just see. I think it's going to be an interesting fight. I think it's going to be an, an action fight. Semmelsberger has two finishes in under 20 seconds. He's going to be swinging for the fences come Sunday, Saturday night, excuse me. Urosh Medic doesn't mind getting in there and firing away at people as we saw in all three of his fights thus far, should be a good one early in the card. Item number 10, quick comeback for Miranda Maverick. The opener in the flyweight division, Maverick takes on Priscilla Cashuera. Really fascinated by this decision. 
because it feels like a low upside, high risk kind of situation for Miranda Maverick. She lost out here to Jasmine Jazdavicious, Jazdavicious in Vancouver in a fight where she started well and then couldn't deal with the pressure we learned after the fight that she was dealing with an eye issue where, to, to her words, she couldn't see. It was just black. She felt like she was going blind. Freaked her the hell out. Lost the fight. Excuse me for one second. Pardon me. Now that that's cleared out of my throat. She came back now and, and makes this turnaround, jumping in for Joanne Wood, who was unable to compete. Takes on Priscilla Cashwera, who, for the many, many flaws and sort of many knocks against her, the many memes about her, you know, being the person, the sacrificial lamb for Valentina Shevchenko in her first flyweight fight, being somebody that struggles to make this weight regularly, results-wise, she's 4-1 and one in her last five fights, and she's got power, and she's got durability, and she's got an ability to come back and take it to you if you gas out, if you tire, and you're fighting at altitude. Now, the good thing for Miranda Maverick is that she trains at altitude in the, in the Denver, Colorado area, so that shouldn't be an issue. She is a big, strong, athletic competitor. And to me, this fight is going to tell us who this girl is, who this woman is. Are you somebody that should be in that young pack, helmed, headed by Aaron Blanchfield and Macy Barber and Casey O'Neill, also including, including Jazz DeVicious and Natalia Silva and some others who are still working their way forward? Or is this who you are? Is the inconsistent four and three thus far in the UFC, 11 and five overall, is that who you are? Is a two thirds fighter, a three fifths fighter, who's going to win some, going to lose some, and always feels like somebody that should be better than the results end up turning out? I don't know yet. Coming into this year, I was super high on Miranda Maverick. Going and, and even through some of those fights last year that she lost the Blanchfield fight, the Macy Barber fight two several fights back that I still think she won was very high on her, but that's had to cool a little bit because the performances haven't been what I've expected over the last couple. And we'll see on Saturday if that changes, this is, it's not a must win, but it really is for me, my opinion, a fight that's going to tell us about what to expect from Miranda Maverick over the next couple of years, or at the very least, what she really needs to work on going forward. That's it for the 10 things. UFC 291 takes place on Saturday at Delta Center in Salt Lake City, available exclusively on pay-per-view. I cannot wait for it. I will be recapping it. I will be doing 10 things we learned here on Keyboard Kimura on the platform. So definitely check that out. You can get there if you are on the YouTube by scanning the QR code in the top corner. That'll take you there. If not, if you are just listening, spencerkite.substack.com will get you there. Appreciate all the subscriptions, whether it's free, five bucks a month or 50 bucks a year. Everybody that is checking this stuff out, I love you. I appreciate you. I thank you greatly. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Everything that I post or just about everything that I post, I try to get up there and, and include some links in the story feed. They are all in my bio as well. So you can get to every platform where I deliver content. Lastly, as always, check out my guys at One Bone, at One Bone Brand on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest drops. It's phenomenal gear. I love everything they're doing. 
within a couple of years, you are, you are all going to know this brand because there are some big time people that are starting to pay attention to it. And those folks are going to carry it to a different level. If you do check some stuff out, ESK20 at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. I thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. I hope the last couple of days of your week go well. I hope you're getting excited for UFC 291. I will be back here tomorrow with the two-piece for Fridays, Punch Drunk Predictions, and the betting show. Until then, be good to yourselves, be good to one another. We'll see you soon. 